What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves and others. You know, those deep, dark secrets that we probably want to go to our deathbed with, or those funnier, lighter secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. So today, my guest is Kristen. Now, Kristen, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Uh, two years ago, I tried to commit suicide by, uh, it's a little heavy, but shooting myself in the chest. Yeah, um, I'm completely blown away that you're sharing it and really grateful. And why? Why did you have that thought to do that two years ago? I was in um, a dark place. And I think at the time, I really didn't realize how serious I had gone down a dark hole. And over time, it just compiled and spiraled. And once you kind of start down that path, and you it's really hard to dig your way out, especially if you're not completely aware of um, how deep you're getting. Uh, it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to navigate. Um, and I think once my brain got there and fixated on that as the viable solution, um, I'm a pretty driven, determined person um, to the point where at this point it was kind of a fault of mine that it got to that extent. Um, but fortunately, I missed and here I am today. Now, I do want to talk about those moments leading up to that decision. Was there things that happened? You said, you know, you keep going. Did you realize you were in a dark place or can you tell us what was happening before? Sure. Um, On the outside, uh, from what I've been told from family and friends and my ex-partner at the time, um, I was going about my days as normal. I had a lot on my plate. I had a full-time job. Uh, My ex and I were running a restaurant full-time. Um, we had a house and animals and, you know, car payments. And I think everything compiling on top of each other, um, I just didn't have any outlet. I didn't have any self-care wasn't in my vocabulary. And as the stress and reality of everything, you know, sat on my shoulders. And then as my relationship diminished, it just sat heavier and heavier. And I, I think back then I had the the view that my back was against the wall and I didn't know where to turn. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is it's, it's a hard thing to acknowledge and ask for help. Um, and I think for a while I didn't even know I needed help. Uh, I think I just thought I needed to kind of grit my teeth and fight my way through it. And, um, if I, and I was, you know, failing myself and failing everyone in my life and, um, my brain just thought, what is this? What is the way to get out of this? What is the the best solution for everyone and for me? And once I kind of had that idea, 
it was, it's almost like my brain latched on, fixated on it, it, on it, and then went from there. Um, I, not to scare people, but I meticulously planned all of it. And my, when I look back at the things that I chose to do and, um, the way I planned it, it's almost a little terrifying. I was, I was scared of myself when I actually acknowledged it after I survived and, you know, went through treatment and stuff. It was, it was a hard pill to swallow that I was capable of that. I still have days where I'm reminded of my ability to plan that and, um, you know, go through with it. So a lot happened, it compiled. And once it started the ball rolling, it was really hard for me to stop it. And I don't even think my brain wanted to. I think it's really fascinating because you said how your life on the outside looked so great you know, and you Mm -hmm. had this facade and we wear these masks and we don't know what people are hiding behind them. And you said, you know, you're so driven that you planned it. How long did you plan it? Um, I think when I kind of nailed down the timeline, I really didn't start planning it until about two weeks before. I think it was a situation where, you know, on bad days, the thought kind of went in and out, but it never really latched and stuck. I just, it was more of a, what they call a passive ideation. And when it got about two weeks before my attempt, it really transitioned from passive to active where I was, um, you know, thinking, how could I successfully, in my mind, it was really, how could I successfully complete this task? Um, Mm. And how could I do it? I, I remember thinking that I wanted to do it with the least impact on my family and my friends, because again, from the outside, I have a very supportive family. I have you know, at the time I had a partner, I had a great staff at my restaurant. I had a lot of friends. Um, I was very social in town and I wanted it to, I wanted to be able to tell my story after the fact. So, I mean, when I say I planned, I wrote letters, I wrote a will, I got the will notarized. I like, I went above and beyond because I wanted everything to be taken care of. I knew it was a burdensome event and that it would have an, a big impact, but I wanted to find a way to like almost smooth the edges and explain to the people that I care about why I did this because I knew I think there was a part of me that knew that people were worried about me but they had no idea what I was capable of and so I felt like to do something so abrupt to them I wanted to at least have some sort of explanation for them to like reference that's so interesting it was almost like you were so driven to not perfectionist but to have it all planned out and organized that yeah it's uh, when you're talking about it, it seems like it, it was a task and you are so disconnected from actually what you're, you were doing. Yeah. I was so disconnected from reality and going through therapy. Now I've um, been working on the fact that I was very good at stuffing emotions, not acknowledging them and just moving past them. But over time, all that did was tighten me up, build it up till it exploded. I look back and I think about like how my schedule was and, you know, working during the day and going to the bar all night and running, you know, having a home life. I would just cram as much responsibility into a day as I physically could so that I could avoid actually the emotional side of everything I was doing. And that's where it led. Yeah, you avoid feeling and those feelings have nowhere to go except in your body. I remember when my therapist told me, if you have these feelings that you don't feel, it's like one on top of the other and they get stored in your body. 
And yeah. sooner or later, that trash can or lid is going to explode because absolutely, it, your body cannot contain feelings or it turns into a disease. But it also, yeah. what you're talking about is what, you know, drugs and alcohol and addicts do. They are just like killing themselves slowly. And you were like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to plan it yeah. perfectly. And then I'm just going to do it the le- the easiest way for my family and friends. Yeah. And I thought for me too, that it's morbid to think about, but I remember thinking like, how could I do this? I hate to say easiest, but I don't have another word, like the quickest, most effective way. I'm a person that strives for efficiency. Uh, I mean, it's, it's good and it's a bad, you know, trait to have. It's great in my professional life. Um, but yeah, my personal life, it wasn't the best choice. Do you think I, 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 I identify with something you said, but the driven, are you always so driven that anything you accomplish or do is never enough? Like if yeah, you reach a task, is, yep. you go, the, I do that too. And yeah. it's actually, it's I'm not, it's hard to shake. Oh my God. I am like, can't I just be, can't I just, why yeah. do I have to be so driven? Why can't I just be okay with yeah. whatever is? I always have to like set these bars and it's exhausting. Yeah. And it's not always about, it is. It's not always about being better than other people for me. It's just like I set myself on a task and I want to complete it and I want to feel good about how I complete it. But no matter what the case is, I never feel satisfied. I always look back and instead of being proud of the things that I did, I go, well, I could have done it this way. Yeah. It's that perfectionist driven. Okay. So that makes me like, I understand that, but why? And I'm just going to bluntly ask you, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to ask you why shooting yourself in the chest? Why did you choose that? I wanted it to be fast. Um, and I remember, so, uh, the fall before, so I attempted uh, suicide in April and the fall prior to that, um, my mom, who is 50, although she's 55, uh, has early onset Alzheimer's. Mm. And she, I remember thinking about, and her and my stepfather live in the same city I do. We live in Syracuse. Uh, my other parents don't live here. And I remember thinking about them having to identify me. And I remember gruesomely thinking in my head that if I shot myself in the head, what would that do to them? My mom wouldn't, my mom was already at a place where she can't comprehend a lot of reality anymore. Um, it's very skewed and I just couldn't do it to her. I, I didn't know what that would look like. And I just remember thinking like that wasn't even an option. I remember it coming through my head and me being like, Nope, that's not, we're not doing it that way. And I just thought, well, what would be the next? I mean, there was only really two options in my head. So I, tried the other one and um yeah okay so that moment we're we're about to get a little dark if that's okay and everybody like that moment when was like in the morning like what was the um, thought process so I had struggled with it it was a Monday I had struggled with it the prior weekend um I tried to numb out and not think about it and avoid my feelings. So I went out all weekend with friends and I was staying at my friend's apartment um, downtown and my car was in the parking garage next door. And um, this was all right around the corner from my business, like very familiar with the area. 
I woke up in the morning and it was just in my head. I was like, I can't procrastinate it anymore. Um, so I went in the parking garage and sat in my car for at least two hours. Um, I remember cause it was cold and I don't remember those two hours. It felt like five minutes. Um, and I sat there, uh, looking out the back of my SUV and I had the shotgun wedged against the, the rear door pointed at me. Um, and I sat there for, I, I'm, when I isolated the timeline, it was roughly two hours. And like I said, it didn't feel that long. Um, and I, my friend who I was staying with was a student at the university here and a customer of mine. And we became really good friends, but he's from Saudi Arabia. And he had started looking for me. And I could tell that because I had my cell phone next to me playing music and it was going off like crazy. And that's when I knew basically in my head, it was kind of like, this is the countdown because if I don't soon, people are going to find me and stop me. And, um, I knew they were looking for me. Um, the cops started calling my phone. They were, I could, I was like, Oh, they're going to track it. And my friend actually, I remember him pulling his Jeep past me and he saw my car and he stopped. And as soon as I like solidified in my head that that was him, I thought that was the moment that someone would stop me and I pulled the trigger. Oh, wow. And, um, I remember like I must've blacked out. And then I remember coming to, and all I could hear was the music playing on my cell phone, but all I couldn't see anything. So I like was trying to move my right arm because my left arm couldn't move. And I remember moving around and just feeling blood and trying to find my phone. And then I found my phone, finally like pushed the button on it, but it couldn't read my thumb probably because of the blood. And I remember trying to dial 911. I missed dialed. So I dialed again. And um, when I spoke to the 911 operator, as soon as I said my, as soon as she asked me my name and I said it, she knew it because after the fact that I found out they were already looking for me and they had already reported me missing. So, um, they, the next thing I remember is, um, them shattering the windows of my car and dragging me out. Uh, and then I remember when they pulled me out of the ambulance to take me into the hospital, I remember hearing, um, my partner at the time scream and, um, after the fact, I found out that my grandfather and my partner were driving around downtown looking for me because they knew the cops had told them that they pinged my cell phone down there. Mm. And so they were looking for me. And then they told me later that when they got downtown, they heard the ambulance. They couldn't see it, but they were just asking pedestrians or anyone on the street, where was the ambulance? And they followed me to the hospital. So when I was being transported into the hospital, they saw me. Wow. That must have been really hard for them. Yeah, it's something that um, my I've never really talked to them about. They've never really been receptive to having that conversation, and I will never push it. I can understand that. So you get to the hospital. What what actually did you hit? Did you hit your? I hit my lung. Uh, my lung collapsed. I broke some ribs in my collarbone. Um, I have an entry and exit wound, so it went straight through. Um, it was, I was in the hospital for close to a month overall. I think it was like in the ICU for two to three weeks. Um, it was obviously painful. Um, I, for the most of my life, have been a fairly healthy person, never 
experienced much physical, you know, like surgeries or pain or anything. Um, it was, it took a while for them to clear all of everything out of my lung and get it reinflated and get me breathing properly. Um, I had a couple tubes and stuff and, um, yeah. And so then the only other part I remember is at one point being in the ER and my, um, ex like wiping me down and saying that she needed to clean me up and cover me up so that my mom could see me and not be affected by like the actual physical trauma. Um, but I don't even remember my mom coming in. I, I remember that blip and that's it. And then the next thing I remember is waking up in the ICU, like surrounded by my family. I know you and I, like how grateful you are that you survived. When you did do it and you were reaching around for your phone and you said your fingers were bloody, so you couldn't swipe your phone. Did you mm -hmm. have that thought? Like, I want to survive. Yes. And it was a combination of that. It was a combination of that and pain. Mm. I think just the two things I was like, my, I'm, I remember being shocked that I even felt the pain. I think I just assumed that I would hit my heart and it would be quick and I wouldn't even comprehend what happened. Um, whereas in fact, you know, it was the opposite. And yeah, I remember being like, holy, like, just mm -hmm. holy crap like <laughs> holy yeah. shit is what yeah. you want <laughs> yeah and um yeah I just remember being shocked and then um just pain I'm pretty sure I yelled at all the EMTs not in a mean way just like telling them how much pain I was in um but yeah I remember being shocked that I even like could feel it and couldn't even move my other arm to find my phone and was like using my phone. I mean, when I think about the sequence of events, it's almost unbelievable to me still. Yeah. It's unbelievable hitting your lung that you actually survived because yeah. you even setting and telling me how it happened. The, the likelihood of you to survive that and be here today, two years later is just a miracle. Yeah. So I do want to ask, um, about the seven deadly sins. I know some people sure. think they're religious and they are, but I like to look at them as character defects for human behavior. So we have pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. When you decided to have this secret and acted out, where of those sins were connected and why? So I think there's really three that stick with me. I think part of it is pride. I didn't know and it's not intentional pride. I think it's pride in the sense that I didn't know how to ask for help. Mm. And I think that I felt like I had so much going on that asking for help in any capacity would have been viewed as a weakness. And I think that was my own issue. It wasn't anything that anybody was doing to me or saying to me externally. It was just my own problem. I always um, think that, I think that's true. People think asking for help is weakness and it's actually yeah. powerful. Like yeah. when I finally asked for help and said something is wrong, it was, I felt weak, but it was actually this very freeing moment. Yeah. And I think I've learned that now. I think now I'm, now that I'm learning more about myself and my emotions and my emotional and physical reactions to stress and anxiety, that um, it's given me a whole new perspective. I mean, something as stupid as, so I now struggle with PTSD um, mm. post attempt. And one thing that's actually really hard for me is fireworks. 
And so this weekend, um, we were down at the Jersey shore and of course there's fireworks everywhere. And on Saturday night, I told my partner, I was like, I'm just going to stay in the house. And like, I don't even want to go outside. And I put headphones on and watched a movie on my phone as loud as I could. And I got to the point where I still was was struggling. So I remember asking her like one of my (laughs) things that helps me is Sour Patch Kids. Mm-hmm. It sounds so stupid. No, now it I'm doesn't. having like an anxiety <laughs> attack or like, you know, a physical anxiety. I always want to eat Sour Patch Kids. And um, it I always want to have like people. a cupcake. Like it's yeah. like a comfort thing. It yeah. is a comfort thing. And so I ate a whole bag of Sour Patch Kids. Um, so I think now I've, I'm finding a new strength in asking for help, but it's a process. And I think the hardest thing maybe for me has just been – I'm like this efficiency brain where I'm like, well, this is how you do it. And this is how you're going to do it forever. And the change of, you know, my emotions and my physical reaction to my emotions and things has been an evolving learning process for me. Um, and I think just acknowledging that for me is my hardest thing. I think I find a solution to, you know, my anxiety one day and I think it's going to work, but then the next time it may not. Um, so I have to find new ways to ask for help. Um, I think back to your question, another one for me was I had a misconception of sloth. I Mm. felt like I was never doing enough. I had so much on my plate that I felt like I was falling short in every capacity. And if you ask people who knew me, they would tell you the exact opposite. They're like, oh, you're killing it. You were running your bar. You were behind the bar every night. You were running a credit union during the day with staff and, um, you know, you have a house that you're redoing and, you know, go down the list. People, people had a different perspective than I did. And I felt like I just couldn't keep up. I felt Mm -hmm. like I, I was spreading myself so thin that I, I didn't feel like I was successful in any capacity. Um, and I think that that stuck with me for a really long time and I'm still working on that. I'm trying to not take on as much as quickly as I did in the past, I still realize that I need a lot of different outlets in my life. And I have a lot of different interests that I'm not the type of person that I can just, you know, go to a nine to five, come home, hang out at home. And that's enough for me. I know I need more than that, but I have to scale it up at a, at a level that uh, is appropriate and that I can handle yeah. um, and kind of learn as I'm doing that. So I feel like those were the two biggest things when I look back on kind of where my mindset was that really stuck with me. I love that you said that because it's that balance. It's that balance of an overachiever, but also just like being and being okay. It's that stillness that we have to find the middle ground. So I definitely identify with that. And, you know, holding on to this and going through with it, who do you think it harmed and who do you think it benefited? It harms anyone who knew me. Um, Mostly, I think it harmed my partner at the time. I think that it really shattered a lot of the things that she thought we had. And she holds, I don't know if she still holds, but she held a lot of guilt around it. Um, It also shattered my family. Um, My mom doesn't really have an understanding of what happened, but um, my grandparents are here. Um, and my grandparents and my stepdad take care of her. And I think all of them had so much stress and so much on their plate dealing with my mom, my mom's disease, that that on top of it was a lot for them. 
Um, on the flip side, I think being two years out of it now, the difference is that it's caused us to grow closer. Um, mm. I really up into my attempt had distanced myself from a lot of people. Part of it was my schedule, but I really wasn't close with my family. It was really, I think the hard part for me was my partner was closer with my family than me. And now, um, I mean, I'm in a new relationship, but I am a lot closer with my grandmother. I see my mom on a regular basis. And before I was really distancing myself, I think because I was struggling so much with my own stuff that seeing my mom just added to it. And I feel guilty even saying that, but it was a hard thing to process and or still process, but I think I shattered them the most. Um, but like I said, in the, in, in the reverse two years out, we're closer than we've ever been. Um, and it's opened up a lot of communication within our family too. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of our family from the outside looking in looked very, you know, successful, put together. We essentially had everything we needed. And when I look at it through the lens, looking back now, we really didn't communicate about real things. You know, it was kind of those update conversations. What's going on in your life? What's going on in ours? Cause a lot of my family lives all over the country and now it's a more real conversation about, you know, what's going on in each other's lives. You know, um, how are we feeling about things? How are we handling things? Is there ways that we can help each other or support each other? Um, and so I'm fortunate that that's how we've reacted and it hasn't driven anyone further apart. You know, and I have to say, sometimes through the darkest moments, that's when the light comes. And I think for me too, when going through my darkest time, it now I'm closer to everyone in my family also. And sometimes you have to walk through that to get to the other side. Or you just stay in this disconnected way of society. And I love that you said that. And my last question for you how are you moving forward now in the future? Uh, day by day. Um, <laughs> I am in, I, I am in a, um, I'm still in a therapy program. So oh, I was fortunate. Good. I was fortunate that here in Syracuse, there's a, a hospital that has a program dedicated to suicidality. And it's like a good thing and a bad thing. It's great because they've seen some significant success rates in their program over the last decade. The sad part is there's not a lot of programs like it in the country. Um, and I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through. It's a year program. Um, so that has definitely had an impact. Um, it's once a week. It's more intense than just a traditional talk therapy. Um, and it's, a, it's more geared towards addressing and acknowledging your emotions, um, you know, really identifying what they are and how you're, feeling about whatever's happening in your life and then processing it from there. Um, my immediately after my attempt, once I was out of the hospital, I actually moved to Boston for treatment for a few months. Um, and that was more like practical skills, like coping mechanisms when things happen in the immediate. And now I've moved past that. And this program is more longer term. How can I, you know, function and, and acknowledge my emotions and balance out my life a little bit better and not have, um, I guess a drastic reaction or go down what I call is like my rabbit hole where I like mm-hmm. isolate and, and spiral again. Um, yeah. so that has really helped. Um, I, I, sometimes I'm a little nervous about what happens at the end of that. We, you know, my therapist and I are working on what options there are, but 
that's definitely step one. I think the other thing that has helped me move forward is back to what you said about uh, bringing people together. I think the acknowledgement of also losing people because of the event and kind of reevaluating the people in my life and not in a negative way, just more, okay, who are my support systems and who can I also provide support to if needed? Um, I mean, I've talked to you know, a handful of people about my experience. It's not something quite yet where I've gone public, but I am actually um, filing this week to run for um, public office next year. So it's... Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's kind of something where my campaign manager and I have been toying with this for a few months. Um, Like, how do we approach the topic and, you know, what I want to do with it? And um, I think now I'm finally getting more comfortable discussing it outside of my personal circle um, that that is helping me process it too. I think it just thinking and talking about the ways I've changed, the things I've learned, it makes me more confident and more comfortable. So I think that's been a huge step forward for me. Um, beyond that, I think moving forward, I really just want to do things like this. I want to talk about it. I want people to know that they're not alone. They're not the only people feeling that way. Um, and that no matter what secrets you hold or what dark corners you have inside you that it's okay to have those you just have to work through them and find avenues of support and I don't necessarily know where those all are but I think just talking about it is step one yeah talking about it it takes away the shame and the alone yeah it literally immediately takes it away from you where you can't hold it anymore by yourself and there's something so freeing and powerful to do that yeah where it almost makes it difficult, like the mirrors in front of you and you have to look at it. Yeah. And it's scary. I think getting to that. Oh, point it's the worst. It's terrifying. so scary. Yeah. You can talk yourself out of it in 300 different ways. But once you do it, like you said, it's so freeing that you just feel more authentic and you feel like, you know, I here I am and you can judge me any way you want, but this is who I am and I'm not going to try and like mask it anymore. I'm not going to try and stuff it down and be the person that I think everyone around me wants me to be. And I think that was the hardest thing for me. I was striving to be all of these different people and all the different facets of my life that I lost a lot of myself. I lost what I cared about and what I loved and, and I just kept chugging forward. And I think the greatest thing is everybody's uniqueness and really like, embracing what we're interested in, who we are, what we stand for, all those things and, and being those people. And I think it's, it's just getting harder and harder. We're bombarded by so much in society and so much mm-hmm. information that it's hard. And I look at um, like some of my little cousins and stuff and I'm just like, it's, it's hard. It's hard if I ever have kids. I can't imagine what it's like for you to have a kid and be like, be you, forget what everyone else around here is saying. I know, but that's the only way I can teach him now. You know, the only way is you can never fulfill what you think other people want of you. You have to be you or you're going to live a life that is not even worth living, like you said. So thank you so much for sharing your secret and your story. Of course, thank you for having me. And until next time, guys, bye. Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.